For as long as I've known the game of football, I've known of Bob Stoops. I didn't know or care much about football until I was 11 years old. The year was 1999. Although our family lived in Ohio at the time, the Sooners were our team because my parents met at Oklahoma City University and, well, OCU didn't have football. So for the first time in my life, I watched Sooners football on Saturdays in the fall, and it was awesome. My most vivid memory of that season was OU drubbing Texas A&M in Norman. The Aggies were a top 15 team, and Stoops' crew smoked them. I remember the Independence Bowl against Ole Miss on New Year's Eve. I remember Deuce McAllister having a huge game and OU losing to finish 7-5. and five. At the time, I was disappointed. But in hindsight, as many diehard Sooners fans already knew, that 1999 season was a breath of fresh air and provided immense amounts of hope for the future. All because of Bob Stoops. Of course, the 2000 season was a fairy tale as Stoops and the Sooners went 13-0 and won the program's seventh national title. It was the second year I had paid attention to football in my life, and my favorite team was already champions. It was a feeling that many, many sports fans never even get to experience. Well, 17 years later, and that feeling has not returned by winning so much, so fast, Bob Stoops spoiled me at a young age. And because of that, my football standards are extremely high. As far as I'm concerned, it's national championship or bust at OU. But now, Bob Stoops is retired, and a new era of Sooners football is upon us. And even with a brand new head coach, my expectations are the same. And while my expectations are unchanged, my excitement level for OU football has changed quite a bit. This is the most excited I've been for a season in years, and it's all because of Lincoln Riley. You see, the past five or so years with Bob Stoops, we knew what we were going to get from the Sooners. A very good team, double-digit wins, a great chance at the Big 12 title, and maybe a New Year's Six Bowl game. But when it comes to winning a national title, that ship had sailed. For whatever reason, OU just hasn't had what it takes to get to that level not since the late 2000s. But with Lincoln Riley, the unknown is what is exciting. Sure, the Sooners could go 9-3 and three or 8-4, and four, and we would all be supremely disappointed. But they could also go 12-0 and 0 during the regular season or 11-1 and 1 and reach the college football playoff and win the whole damn thing. Thank you, Bob Stoops, for 18 great years and allowing me to fall in love with football. But now I'm embracing the unknown and I'm ready to be spoiled by Lincoln Riley. This is West of Everest. A&M now in need of a rally. Intercepted! Marshall picks it off! The big linebacker! One of the most memorable plays of that 2000 OU National Championship season, Torrance Marshall quiets the 12th man in the fourth quarter with a 41-yard pick six that put away Texas A&M on November the 11th, 2000. And with that, let me welcome you into the premiere of West of Everest. I'm Lee Benson, and joining me is my brother Grant. Grant, your job right now is to explain what we are doing today. Thank you, Lee, for that intro. I thought it was very touching. I appreciate it. 
with the off, <laughs> with the off season behind us, fall camp now behind us. Now uh, we're less than a week from the opener. Uh, it's OU football season preview time, Lee. Uh, we'll start with individual predictions and move into predictions for the Sooners as a whole. If you're an OU diehard or just a guy who has literally not paid any attention since the Sugar Bowl about nine months ago, this podcast will be will basically get you ready for the 2017 Sooner season. Well, we'll also talk about who's going to win the Big 12. We'll look at the national scene, of course, college football playoff, Heisman Trophy, all that good stuff. Plus... I might want to talk about gambling at some point. Not a it, good idea. It's uh, it's, it's too illegal. early. It's illegal. It's too a, early. For no, that? it's just illegal. I don't think you should do it. All right, maybe I won't talk about that. Maybe we'll save that for later. Uh, we'll see how it goes. So, without further ado, let's start with the Sooners' running back position. Grant, who's going to be OU's leading rusher this year? We're, we're just jumping right into it, not wasting any time. Not that's, at all. That's efficiency no. right there. If I've ever seen, we have it. a lot to get to. Yeah, we do. Lee, I think Abdul Adams is going to lead the, the the Sooners in rushing this season. Um, I think it's been pretty clear over the last few weeks um, that he's kind of the guy that everyone just, uh, the coaches mention right from the get-go. Um, I think it was kind of conventional wisdom, um, you know, from early on that it would be Rodney Anderson. Uh, he would be the guy starting at running back. Um, but, you know, it's it's always Abdul Adams' name that comes up. Um, it's, you know, Lincoln Riley or whether or not it's um, you know the other coaches. He's always the very first person that comes up um, as the most improved player, uh, the guy that they can trust, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, generally, if you hear stuff like that, I think you have to take it at face value and you just have to assume that he's going to be the guy. You know, I, they still talk about Rodney Anderson a lot, um, but it's always Abdul Adams is the first guy out of their mouth. Um, I think, you know, th- there's a reasoning behind that. There's no reason to over overthink anything. It's Abdul Adams is going to be is going to be the bell cow guy. I mean, it's a good pick for all we know now at this point. That's the logical choice and I think that's a big part of the reason why you're picking him on the flip side though I think Marcellia Sutton is going to lead the team in rushing this year because from what I've seen of him in limited amounts of practice time this fall he looks like the best running back of the four main ones out there between Sutton Abdul Adams Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon Sutton just looks put together he's a small guy he's listed at only five foot eight but he's compact he is fast twitch movements he looks like he can make great cuts we saw him in the spring game he looked great in there scored a touchdown averaged almost six yards per carry this is a guy it's his first year at OU so not many people know about him he was a four-star out of high school he went to junior college the past couple of years he was ranked as the number two junior college running back in the nation by ESPN and last season last fall he averaged almost seven yards per carry seven, uh, 6.7 yards per carry scored 10 touchdowns Sutton's not going to be the main guy at first because I think Abdul Adams will get the lion's share of the carries. will get the first look, I guess, because of what you all, all you said. But based on what I've seen, I'm going to take a flyer, and I think Marcellus Sutton is going to be the guy leading this backfield. And I don't. I mean, I I, I think that's that's an interesting pick. Um, I've I've mentioned it a couple times to you. Marcellus Sutton was the was the guy who impressed me by far the most in the spring game. He just looked like to be that quick twitch athlete. He looked like a he looked like a, a high division one running back in that game. He looked like he looked the part. Um, you know, I th- I think we get caught up a lot uh, with recruiting rankings and where they're coming from. Um, I didn't know he was a four star guy out of high school. Um, I did read an article about him the other day um, saying that he did have some grade issues coming out of high school. I'm assuming that's why he didn't go straight uh, to Division one football and had to spend a couple years in JUCO. Um, Oklahoma has has a history of of of, of hitting it with uh, with JUCO guys. Uh, the last notable one I can think of uh, was Damian Williams. Um, he 
you know, his senior, he did get kicked off the team about halfway through the year, but that's a guy who's, um, who's held down an NFL job for, I think, five years now. Um, OU does really have, uh, have a history of hitting on Juco guys, and Bob Soups recruited him, so this is not a, a guy who just came in recently. Bob Soups recruited him, and um, number two Juco running back in the country by ESPN, he, he looks it. He's, I, I think he's going to be a, a major factor on offense this year. And sticking with offense, over to the receiver position, and, and this will encompass the wide receivers and the tight ends. Our leading receiver pick, and I'll start with this one, and I'm going to go with Jeff Bidette, the transfer from Kentucky, the grad transfer. And simply, he has immense amounts of talent. He's coming from Kentucky, where the offense wasn't anywhere near as good as Oklahoma's offense. And he has said in this fall camp, and we've had a chance to talk to him, that simply he wanted to come to OU to catch passes from Baker Mayfield. And I think Bidette's going to catch plenty of passes and really, I think this has to be one of the, the happiest guys on the Sooners team because of the situation he was in the past four years at Kentucky, or however long he was at Kentucky. I didn't look, and I'm not sure if he was there for, for that entire time. But anyways, he comes from Kentucky to Oklahoma, who has a legitimate chance of winning the national championship, and he's going to probably be the leading receiver catching passes from Baker Mayfield. So I'm going to go with Jeff Bidette. I'm going to agree with you on that one. Um, I, I, can't, I, I guess I can envision a scenario where it's not him. Um, but I, I think that's just the most likely, uh, the most likely option. Uh, Oklahoma has they, they had that Penn State uh, graduate transfer pipeline for a couple years when they had Justin Brown um, and Geno Lewis last year. Um, Jeff Bidette, I uh, is the least heralded as a recruit of those grad transfer receivers coming in, but he's been uh, the most impressive as a Division One college player of them coming in. Um, it's been, I think it's been said, you know, ad nauseum over the offseason, but that he did lead the SEC in yards per catch, um, had over 600 yards receiving on a Kentucky team that frankly didn't really throw the ball ever. He was their main option. Uh, if you go just look at that six minute long highlight video of him that's floating around YouTube, you can see uh, why people are excited about him. The guy is immensely athletic. Um, he's got good hands and he's gone up, he goes up and gets the ball. Uh, he can, you know, he can catch a, a screen pass. He's he, he's good, um, you know, running the ball after after the catch. I I'm I'm so excited to watch Jeff Bidette. I think he is he's going to come in and he's going to have a huge season. If it's not Jeff Bidette leading the Sooners in receiving, who is the next guy? Um, Mark Andrews. I agree. Mark Andrews. Yeah. If it's, we'll, if it's not one of those two guys, that would be a shock. And we'll, frankly, and we'll we'll talk about Mark Andrews later on in this podcast. All right, moving over to defense. Let's talk about the leading tackler. Who do you think will lead the Sooners in tackles this upcoming season? I think all signs point to uh, to Caleb Kelly. Um, he he came on last year um, was was frankly the team's best defensive player probably in the second half all of last year. Um, they've uh, they've they've made the point of saying that Kelly's really never going to come off of the field um, as a linebacker. He's playing um, he's he's playing that outside linebacker position in the four three where they're going to let him roam around and make plays. Um, I, I, I just think everything is pointing towards him being the, the leading tackler. He, he's going to be kind of the one guy on the defense or one or two guys along with Stephen Parker who really just never come off of the field, I, I don't think. I go with Caleb Kelly as well, and I think he did an amazing job of explaining why, and I have nothing else to add to that. So it's a pretty cut and dry one. I'm sure you know it's, it's one of those things where they're, it's going to be probably a linebacker. So if, yeah. they, if not Caleb Kelly – Another linebacker, which I'm sure we'll talk about linebackers here coming up later in the show. More defense. How about sacks? Who's going to lead this team in sacks? And I'll start with this one. And I think just based on what we know and based on last year, I'm going to go with Obo, Obo Okawanko, just because of 
how many he had last season and his talent and coming off the edge. Um, that's my pick based on what we know right now. And I think uh, Oboe, because the defense was 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 so mediocre last year, I think it's it's overlooked a little bit about how good of a season Oboe had um, for the entire season. He really was uh, for a long time the lone bright spot on that defense. Um, um, if you put stock into the the Pro Football Focus grades, and I actually do, I think um, they have some good stats on there. Um, I, I think Oboe uh, returning has the most pressures of any player in the entire country returning. Um, and the Big 12, the, that pressure stat, I think, is, is the most important. Uh, Big 12 offenses, just there, there's a lot of uh, catch the ball and throw it offenses. Um, and if Oboe is leading in pressures in the Big 12, that's, that's very, uh, that's important, I think. Um, he had nine sacks last year, I believe. Um, I, I think you can pretty much shoe him in for double-digit sacks this season. Um, everything that I've heard about him switching to the defensive end in the 4-3, uh, I've heard positive that with his hand in the ground, he is just explosive coming off the edge. Um, I, I, have, I have some concerns about him holding up in the run game, um, but that might only be an issue in a couple of games this year playing run-oriented teams. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. Um, once again, you explained it a lot better than I probably could have. So, all right, good on you. <laughs> all right, well, we'll go back to offense now. Um, Lee, we both agree, obviously, that Baker Mayfield is going to be the most important player on the Sooners' offense this year. Um, but after him, Lee, who is the most important player on the Sooners' offense? So I'm going to cheat on this one and take an entire position group and go with the offensive line. It's been well documented that this offensive line is very good. Bill Biedenboe has done a bang-up job with recruiting and getting these guys all put together over the years since he's been with Oklahoma. And the key thing here is health. In, in, a, in a weird way, even if one or two guys go down, you know, God help us, the depth is there to where it may not hurt Oklahoma that much. But still, it's one of those things I think the offensive line is – the most important position group on the field outside of the quarterback. I know you might disagree with me on that one because I think you think the defensive line is the second most important group. But based on this Oklahoma team, assuredly, Baker Mayfield's health is so important, and these guys are going to keep him healthy. So instead of going with one person that's most important aside from Baker Mayfield, I'm just going to say the offensive line as a group. And uh, my apologies to those guys for not singling them each out. Offensive linemen are normally team-oriented guys for the most part anyway, so I'm sure they're, pretty, uh, they're cool with it. You know, Lee, I, I, first of all, I don't appreciate you cheating on this. Um, I mean, that's just rude. Uh, second, of all, but I, I, you know, second of all, I do agree with you. The offensive line is going to be incredibly important. Um, you, you said barring health. Um, and even, but I look at it, even, you know, if they lose a couple guys, they have, they really do have a lot of depth there. You know, even if Orlando Brown were to go, uh, were to go down for a few games, I'd feel pretty comfortable with them sliding Bobby Evans over and to, to play left tackle for a few games. And I think they would still be good, um, at that left tackle. Um, they have a ton of, uh, depth at the guard positions, um, with Samia, Cody Ford, Ben Powers, Jonathan Alvarez has started, you know, over 15 games in his career at OU. Uh, that's that's just a lot of returning experience, and everyone knows on the offensive line that's incredibly important. Um, I'm sure over the course of the year we'll, we'll be talking about the true freshman Creed Humphrey at, at center too, who a lot of people think is the most talented center who's ever come through the program. Um, but anyway, so I'll I digress. My most important offense or uh, most important player on offense after Baker Mayfield uh, is Mark Andrews. 
And um, we've uh, Lee and I, we were watching um, some some game tape from last year. Um, and, and Mark Andrews is just the X factor on this offense. He is such a night. He, he is such a matchup nightmare um, to opposing defenses. We we watched pretty much the entire uh, Ohio State game from last year, and Mark Andrews was running open that entire game. And not only was he running open, he was abusing first round draft pick cornerbacks in that game. Um, so he's he's had some uh, some issues with injuries and consistency over his career. Um, you would hope now this is his fourth year in the program. Um, the, the consistency issues would be shored up a little bit. You never know about health. That's always a freak thing usually. So hopefully he can stay healthy. And I think if he does stay healthy, he's going to have a monster year. He's, he's, you're, you're looking at a guy who, um, if he stays healthy and he continues his upward mobility that he's had through the first three years in the program, I think you're looking at a guy who's a potential All-American this year with Mark Andrews. He certainly has a talent for it. And he's a guy that he has he's had good numbers since he's been in Oklahoma, but I feel like he should have better numbers based on his talent level and Baker Mayfield and his ability to distribute the football. He's got he's got good touchdown numbers, very good touchdown numbers. He's got I think he had, he had over ten last year. If I'm I, I might be totally wrong about that. Um, and I th- he only had I believe thirty one catches last year though. That needs to that, that 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 needs to go up to. He might need to double that total. If if he doubles that total, we're it's the offense is looking pretty good in my eyes. I mean, obviously the offense is different than it was in 2008 with Sam Bradford and Jermaine Gresham, but Mark Andrews is a Jermaine Gresham type guy. I mean, they're built the same exact way. They're both, they're both fast. Um, he can play wide receiver type positions like Gresham was split out constantly in the slot as a wide receiver, even out wide. And Mark Andrews has that kind of talent and, it's one of those things where, again, they've used him a lot, and he's been an impact player for Oklahoma, but I feel like he could be so much more. And I'm hoping that this is the year where he just busts out, like you said, and becomes an All-American type player because he certainly has the ability to do that. And I'll mention it one more time. We did watch that Ohio State game from last year. We watched that yesterday. And uh, Mark Andrews was, was one of the very few bright spots in that game. Um, he got, he got um, on a few plays, he had some alligator arms where he, he made some drops where – um, there was some guys kind of bearing down on him, but he was running great routes and he was running open, um, going up against uh, Gary on Conley the entire game. He burned Malik Hooker a couple times. And these are guys who, you know, this was the best secondary in the entire country last year. And he was having his way with them and arguably one of the, mo- one of the most talented secondaries in college football history. And he was having his way with them. And I think that, that means something. And I'm hoping that he can, he can build on that and have a great season. Back to the OU defense. Grant, who do you believe will be the most important player on that Sooners defense this season? Well, you alluded to it earlier, Lee. Um, what I think is the second most important uh, position group on the field after quarterback, um, I think it is the defensive line. Um, if you have a good defensive line in college football, you basically have a, you, you have a good defense if you have a good defensive line. Um, it's just kind of the way it has been. Uh, if you look at any teams that have won the national championship over the last decade or so, kind of the main uh, the main variable there is they have a great defensive line. Um, so with that in mind, I think the most important player in the defense this year is Neville Gallimore, the sophomore defensive tackle. Um, he played a lot last year. He started every single game in the, the, the second half of the season last year playing the end, uh, the defensive end position, the 3-4. He's going to move inside and play his more natural position, which is uh, the defensive tackle position, kind of playing that uh, that Gerald McCoy role in the 4-3 where he's going to be athletic and um, he's going to be he's going to try to be quick and make plays, and I think that's more suited towards his skill set. Uh, if he has a good season, 
the defense is going to have a good season, uh, just straight up. What do you think? And it's worth mentioning, too, again, a couple weeks ago, Ruffin McNeil, the new defensive line coach, assistant head coach, did mention that there were plans of playing Neville Gallimore still at a defensive end type position to let him rush the passer. Uh, It's not clear if that's his actual spot, like he's going to just be a DN, which would be, again, what you're kind of talking about would be surprising because he's built like a defensive tackle. He's 310. Uh, and not built like a defensive end, but it could be one of the situations again where, and you see this a lot with defensive linemen, they move people around to get good matchups, and and depending on the the alignment and the situation, it gets certain players in better positions to rush the passer and make a play. Having said that, I agree with Neville Gallimore. I mean, he's a great, uh, he he has the abilities to be a great player. He was a bit nicked up in fall camp, but Last we heard, he's back practicing, so no issues there. Uh, he missed the last scrimmage, but if it was a game day, Lincoln Riley said that he would have gone. So it sounds like health-wise, he's fine, which is great news. And he's also a, a player that you know, I've talked to uh, once or twice, and he just he seems just so excited to have a a clear role this year for the entire season. And he comes off as a really humble guy that just really wants to help out the team. And not saying that there's a bunch of guys that don't feel that way, because I'm sure there are. But just for whatever reason, talking to Neville Gallimore, he just seems like a great teammate and a guy that you really hope to have a fantastic season this upcoming year. Yeah, and he's a guy. uh, He's from Canada. He was a top 100 recruit uh, guy. Um, This is his third year in the program. And you would think if the light is going to come on, it's going to be this season. That that seems to be if, you know, if if you're going to be a star in the program, you either show up right away or it's by this, this, this redshirt sophomore year. Um, And I think he's being put in a much better position this year to succeed switching to that four, three. That is just, that's perfect for his skill set. I'm excited to see what he has to do this year. And you mentioned the defensive line being so important and Neville Gallimore is more built as a defensive tackle. So it's, your thoughts is moving inside and being up the middle like that, being able to stuff the run, stop the run. My most important player on defense is Kenneth Murray at this point, because it looks like Mike Stoops alluded to this the other day that since John Michael Terry hasn't been able to practice, Kenneth Murray, the true freshman looks like he'll be the starting middle linebacker. And so I'm going to amend it a little bit. Kenneth Murray is my most important player, but basically whoever ends up playing middle linebacker extensively is the most important player because it's up the middle. And I think that's where Oklahoma is, has the biggest weakness right now is in the front part, the front seven up the middle. And if Neville Gallimore plays there and uh, also guys like Tyrese Lott or Lampkin Abel can also play defensive tackle and plug it up. And then there's good middle linebacker play. The middle becomes more of a strength then. And so that's why I think Kenneth Murray or whoever plays middle linebacker is so important because if Oklahoma is able to stop the run consistently, I think that secondary this year is going to be really good. And that'll make those guys even better is if there's more obvious pass situations in the big 12 and those secondary guys can be more uh, alert and, and kind of more in, uh, anticipating pass plays in order to make big plays. So I'm going to take Kenneth Murray. And I'm going to kind of I'm I'm going to kind of put my own little spin on this. Uh kind of the cliche with the middle linebacker position is that you want a, a heady guy there because they make the calls on defense. Um and you know that that is a concern. Um he's in the middle of your defense. He's basically the captain of the defense. Um and you want somebody who is able to uh is able to on a play-by-play basis make plays quickly and think quickly and of course you're a little nervous you're gonna if you're gonna throw a true freshman right in the middle um like that but you know i'm gonna put on my crimson colored glasses and i'm just gonna look at this uh, positively and say 
um, you know what, Lee? Uh, he, he may not have right now it all down from a mental aspect just because he's only been on campus for about six months. But I think if you're going to compare it to last year, athletically and talent-wise, they are upgrading at the middle linebacker position. Jordan Evans, of course, is in the NFL right now. Um, but I think as an elite athlete, like a, you know, like someone that you want in that middle, I think Kenneth Murray is going to be maybe the most athletic middle linebacker they've had since Curtis Lofton was here. And you're, you know, we're talking about in a decade. Um, so I'm excited for it, and I'm sure he'll make, I'm sure he'll make some bad plays as a true freshman, but I'm sure his athleticism and his talent will produce some kind of jaw uh, dropping plays too. Um, I'm just excited for it because you're going to have. Going forward now, you're going to have a guy who's supremely athletic and talented, and right from the get-go, he's going to get that experience that's necessary to be a middle linebacker, and I think that's going to pay off a year or two down the line, and you'll see Kenneth Murray become a star, hopefully. We keep bouncing around back and forth between offense and defense, back over to the offense. Grant, who is your – actually, I'll start with this one. Uh, here's here's the question. The sleeper impact player on offense, basically – uh, just to be clear, sleeper being defined as a player that nobody's really talking about at this point. And for this, I'm going to go with wide receiver Marquise Brown, another junior college transfer. I talked about Marcellius Sutton earlier. Marquise Brown played a year of junior college. Now he's with Oklahoma. He hasn't been talked about a whole lot around. Uh, it's, it's When I've talked to fellow media members, it just, we don't talk about Marquise Brown a whole lot. And for whatever reason, I just have a feeling that he is going to be a player that Oklahoma tries to get the ball to in space to make plays. Uh, this past week, we talked to Caleb Kelly, who we both agree will lead the team in tackles. And I asked Caleb Kelly about the scrimmage, the last scrimmage they had on the previous Saturday. And I asked him who were the offensive players who were the most difficult to tackle. And Marquise Brown was one of the players he brought up and said that Marquise Brown was actually able to make Caleb Kelly miss in the open field and so that made me even more confident about my pick of Marquise Brown being a, a sleeper guy in offense that really nobody's talking about um you know I Marquise Brown I when when he signed um in February I think a lot of people expected that he was going to be the guy to replace D.D. Westbrook and come in you know it's just like D.D. a Juco guy coming in a smaller guy um who is a speedster and he is I as but you know, as fall as fall camp has progressed, you just I I just don't hear the coaches talking about him at all. And so, like I said earlier, when you know the coaches bring up Abdul Adams at all times, that generally means that Abdul Adams is going to be the guy. They don't really talk about Marquise Brown. Um, it seems like they have you know when they're talking about kind of an inside slot guy, they always uh, go to to Michael Jones or or they you know they brought up two walk-ons before they even brought up Marquise Brown. Um, I, I'm going to take that at face value. I, I don't think he's going to be a big impact player this year i'd love to be wrong about that but generally when when coaches aren't talking about you at all that means and i i, th- I think we also need to to pump the brakes on him a little bit he only played juco ball for a year he's a small guy i, I just don't think his body is ready for major division one college football um and you know he's he's got he's got three years in the program left he's got plenty of time but he, he is a guy who looks he looks like an elite athlete he's fast um but i, I just don't think his body is ready for for this type of football yet so um, I'll just I'll, I'll transition into who I think Lee already talked about him earlier. I think Marcellius Sutton is going to be a major part of the offense. Um, we don't need to go too deep into it. But, of course, when, you know, when people are talking about the running backs, they're always talking about Abdul Adams and Rodney Anderson. Um, I think Marcellius Sutton is going to be incredibly important and perhaps maybe the most consistent running back that they have all year. I'm excited to watch him play. So on defense, 
your sleeper player, impact player on the defensive end, uh, defensive side of the football, Grant? And I, I had to think about this one for a little bit, um, except there was something that Kerry Cook said just a few days ago after practice um, uh, at, in the middle of the week. Um, and I, I kind of have an obsession with, with, with the nickelback position. I think it's a hugely important uh, position on the field, especially in major college or in, in you know, major college football these days. Um, and there was something that Kerry Cook said that really gave me pause. And um, he said that Chance Sylvie, the sophomore nickelback from Louisiana, he said he was doing a hell of a job playing the team's nickel in camp. Um, and that's really the first I've heard of anybody even bringing up the nickel position. Um, and the first person that he brought up was Chance Sylvie. I'm going to say Chance Sylvie um, because the nickel, especially in Mike Stoops' 4-3, as we've seen throughout the years, especially in the early 2000s when he was here, the nickelback position is arguably the most important position on his 4-3 defense. Um, Chance Sylvie was a guy that a lot of people were excited about um, coming out of high school. He had limited playing time last year, but he did see the field. I know he played a lot against Texas um, and other games in the second half of the year. Um, so if Chance Sylvie can um, can emerge as an important player at the nickelback position, that would be huge. I'm going to pick him as my sleeper. Um, and I, I said earlier, it's his third year in the program. That's usually when the light goes on. I like that pick. And if he is that kind of impact player, that just strengthens an already strong secondary, at least in my opinion, um, and definitely secondary that is leaps and bounds ahead of it was at this time last season. My sleeper defender is sophomore defensive end Mark Jackson. And I think this is a, a player that maybe you may not even have heard much about this fall uh, or have thought about. Well, you, I'm sure you have because you know everything about this team. But uh, Mark Jackson is a guy that has been getting praise from Calvin Thibodeau. Uh, so that's always a good sign when the coach calls you out. Um, you know, he's not he's, – he's a good size for defensive end. I mean, 6'1", 235. Um, I mean, he's a four-star – recruit out of san antonio so play he played at the highest level of texas high school football and i've heard other players during this fall camp when they're asked hey who's giving you trouble on the defensive line and guys like jamal brown you know these these great offensive linemen for ou uh and great of course i'm talking in terms of college football um and we're all talking about how good this offensive line is going to be i mean mark jackson's a player that is brought up of saying oh yeah he looks he looks great he looks really good so if he's getting praise from solid offensive lineman that makes me feel good about that uh, he's been in the system now for a full year uh, this is a second year I think he could be ready for a, a big time move and I, and I believe that uh, Thibodeau mentioned that they could think you know try to get him on the field and third down situations to go along with oboe and that could present a pretty pretty uh, elite level uh, elite might be too strong, but a pretty strong uh, one-two punch at defensive end and rushing the passer on third down. And Lee, this is a defense that really needs to find uh, more options other than Oboe to rush the passer. I think they have guys who have the potential to be um, a really good pass rusher, but they're all young, and we're we're going to have to see um, you know if they step up and if they're ready to contribute. Mark Jackson, this is his second year in the program. He was a uh, he, he was a highly regarded recruit. Um, I know they recruited him probably to play the outside linebacker in the 3-4 to rush the passer, um, but it looks like he's, he, he's going to transition to defensive end now. And, you know, I, he, he, he does. He, he looks good. He, in terms of his size, I've seen the pictures. He, he, looks, he looks big out there, um, and that's good. And if he's a guy who can rush the passer, that's, that's going to be great too. And, of course, with him with that size, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to worry about him holding up in the run game. Um, but, you know, if, if he can rush the passer – then I, I can live with all that other stuff. All right, let's talk freshmen. 
Let's talk about who the biggest impact freshman will be on this Oklahoma team. We're going to start with offense. I'll go first. I'm going to go with a wide receiver, CeeDee Lamb. I think he's going to be the biggest uh, freshman, uh, have the most impact uh, of, of freshman on offense. Uh, four-star guy from Texas. He's listed at six foot one. I thought he was taller than that. Seeing him on the practice field this fall, he looks bigger than six one. He looks tall and a bit lanky. He needs to fill out a little bit. But um, I think he is a player that will see a lot of time this year for Oklahoma. And, and Nick Basquin going down certainly helps his chances of getting more playing time. And Lincoln Riley has even mentioned him as a possible player that we could see returning punts or returning kicks. So he's already being regarded as somebody that will get playing time as a true freshman. So I'm going to go with C.D. Lamb. Yeah, I think C.D. is going to be a is going to be a star. Um, all you have, I, I'm not huge on going and looking at high school tape because you never really know who they're playing, the quality of of, of the opposition, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, C.D. Lamb played uh, played pretty high division Texas high school football. If you just look at his tape, I mean, he is he's explosive. He's good. You know, he's a guy who I think a lot of um, a lot of people who are close to recruiting would say he would have been a five-star guy if he if he went to a lot of those recruiting camps, like those rivals camps, and he didn't go to any of those camps. So um, he's he gets all of his notoriety just based on his tape, and his tape is incredible. Um, so he's a guy I think is is going to make an impact this year. I am just going to kind of switch it up a little bit because I think I think CD really is just kind of the obvious uh, freshman who's going to make an impact on offense. Um, I'm going to go to a guy who's just a not a lot of people are talking about it, and that's uh, freshman tight end Grant Calcaterra, not just because we share a, a first name, Lee. Um, he is, he, he's in the same build uh, as Mark Andrews, maybe even a little, uh, little more athletic uh, version of Mark Andrews. Um, he looked good in the spring game, so he's been on campus for a while already. Um, and I just, I really like the idea, idea of having two tight ends on the field at once. And I think that's something that they're definitely going to do, especially if Calcaterra is ready to contribute catching the ball. Um, you know how important that is in the Big 12. You can never have too many pass catchers. Um, it looks like they have another person to, you know, once Mark Andrews leaves, someone to step right into that role again. He looks impressive. Um, I'm excited to watch him. He's definitely going to play this year. An intriguing prospect for sure, yes. And it would be interesting to see if Calcaterra and Andrews end up playing a lot together because that would mean both of them are very good players. I mean, you already know Andrews is a very good player, but that would mean that Calcaterra is really showing out if he's on the field at the same time in, in a decent amount of time this season. Uh, defensively, impact freshman for you, Grant. Um, we, we talked about him a few minutes ago, so I'm not going to go too, too in-depth, but uh, Kenneth Murray, who right now is projected as the lone starting freshman on the defense. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think he's going to be impressive. Of course, I already said he, he's going to make some plays where you kind of scratch your head. Um, that's to be expected for a true freshman middle linebacker. But I, he, he just looks the part. And, you know, we haven't seen a ton of him, but um, you've seen pictures. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't look like a freshman out there. He looks, he looks physically mature, um, and I, I'm excited to watch him play. I think um, if, if he can come in and he can play well and actually hold down the starting job all year, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're looking at maybe the next star uh, at middle linebacker for OU. And I'm going to go with the guy up the middle as well in the secondary for my freshman impact player on defense. I'll go with Robert Barnes, a player that Lincoln Riley has acknowledged will play this season. We'll get playing time. I don't think he'll start the first game, but as the season continues, I think he's has so much talent that uh, he'll be back there with Stephen Parker playing safety and making an impact because of he's a five-star player, 
by one recruiting service. I think he was more of a four star, but that was because of an injury in high school. Uh, he, he's he's a he's a unanimous top one hundred guy though. So yeah, so I mean, he he has tons of talent. He may have dropped a bit because of an injury, um, and he did miss a little bit of time in camp. But he, as far as we know, he's back practicing. I think Robert Barnes, just be, based off of talent alone, will end up contributing a lot this season and and potentially by the end of the year being the uh, you know starting at, at the safety position. And if you listen to uh, what the coaches have been saying and whatnot as well, one of the first things they mention about Robert Barnes is how well he's picked up the mental side of the game too. And, you know, for playing free safety, that's that's a big deal. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't think anyone's questioning his, his physical ability as a true freshman. It's uh, usually at that safety position, it's just all about can you pick up the mental aspect of the game. Um, and it sounds like he's doing a great job. He comes from... Uh, the you know one of the biggest programs in the state of texas so one of the biggest high school programs in the country um and apparently they they got him ready to play here so i I think you're definitely going to see him it sounds like will johnson is is pretty much penciled in in that free safety spot right now um but don't be surprised if, if robert barnes is is starting there halfway through the season so that's all of the individual type predictions we're gonna go, we're gonna give today, and we'll move into now just Oklahoma as a whole as the team. And so we're gonna start with their schedule, the Sooner schedule. We'll take a look at it, and we'll ask the question: What is the trap game on OU's schedule? And so I'll start with this one, and I'm gonna go with. I mean, this is this is not you know a breaking news. This is I'm not gonna go outside the box. I'm gonna go with a road game at Kansas State. On October the twenty-first, and the reasoning before uh, because of this is because this is the game after OU Texas. I, I hate using the cliche. Oh, could be a letdown game, but I'm going to use it. Uh, it's it's a road game. Kansas State. I, I know Oklahoma has gone to Manhattan before in the recent years and and blown them out. You know, it, it's not like it's that great of a home field advantage for Kansas State. But this is a season where Kansas State is supposed to be a pretty good football team. Um, the Wildcats host TCU prior to the OU game and TCU could be a solid team but that's a home game for Kansas State and then another home game against OU so I feel like even if Kansas State win no matter what if, if they beat TCU or lose to, to TCU the Wildcats are going to be extra motivated going into that game not just because maybe they lost but they're going to be extra motivated because they're playing Oklahoma so I'm going to go with Kansas State. Yeah, Lee, I, I can see why, why you would say that it seems to be kind of be the consensus of, uh, amongst all the prognosticators for a trap game on OU schedule. I'm going to push back on it. Kansas State has never particularly scared me. Um, it seems like um, whenever they beat OU, it's usually they usually get you know uh, the Sooners usually outgain them by 200, 250 yards, and Kansas State just makes a lot of really kind of lucky plays. Um, the, the the game that's instantly coming to mind was that one from 2014 when Kansas State came into Norman and beat OU. OU outgained him by almost 300 yards in that game, and Michael Honeycutt missed like three field goals and an extra point, uh, three short field goals and an extra point, and Kansas State won by like two. So you know, I they just don't they're they're an offense that just never really scares me because they're so one dimensional. Um, and if there's one thing that Mike Soups has proven as a defensive coordinator is that he really does tee off on on offenses that are one dimensional. Even even last year, uh, he he did that quite effectively, and. Unless Kansas State kind of has uh, a, a really good talent at wide receiver, like they did with Tyler Lockett for a couple years, they they really just don't scare me on offense at all, just because they are so one dimensional. Um, and so I'll I'll push back a little bit and I'll I'll throw a game out there that I think a lot of people are just kind of 
think is just a layup, and that's uh, that's week four against Baylor. That game is at Baylor. Um, you know, I, I don't really have any hard hitting analysis on this, other than it just, other than I just kind of have a bad feeling about it. Um, I, I always just kind of think back to the, the game that that is stuck in my mind is is 2007 at Colorado, where as a game they had absolutely no business losing. But just weird stuff happens, and I know Baylor's going to be a really well-coached team. Matt Rule seems like he's going to turn that program around, and it's going to be a tough, hardcore, blue-collar team. Um, I, I, I'm not sure what sort of offense they're going to run yet. I know Matt Rule is, is kind of a, a pro-style guy. Um, of course, Baylor does not have the, uh, the personnel to run a pro-style offense at all, so I don't know if Matt Rule will, will kind of force it those, uh, those first couple years while he recruits to fit his style. Um, but Baylor still has, I mean, Baylor outside of OU and Texas arguably has, you know, the most talent on the roster in the entire league just because they have, they ha- they did recruit so well under Art Bryles. Um, it just seems like a game that might sneak up on the Sooners and it's away from home. So that's always a problem. Grant, what's OU's final record going to be this year? And we're talking, we're talking regular season. So the 12 games in the regular season, what's their final record going to be I, for the bowl? I, they're going to go 10 and two. Um, I, I just think that's just kind of the safest thing to predict at this point. I'd love to just throw, oh, they're going to go 12-0. and 0, But I'm just going to be realistic. I, I think they'll probably lose a couple games they shouldn't lose. Um, or maybe a game or two they're going to lose that they shouldn't lose. Obviously, they have to go to Columbus in the, in the first, uh, the second week of the season. I I think that is a game they, they can win. Will they? If we're being realistic, probably not. But... Um, even if they do, I, I could see them dropping a couple games in the Big 12 uh, just because that's just kind of how they've been the last handful of years. Um, they're going to be a solid 10-2 and two team. By the end of the season, they're pro- they're, we'll probably be able to say that they can play with anyone in the country um, you know, with a 10-2 and two record and hopefully a Big 12 championship. They're going to have, you know, it's asking a lot, you know, a lot of dominoes falling in, uh, on the national scene for them to make the playoff. But I, I think you're probably going to see a season a lot like last year, just a 10 and two team, a really good offense, inconsistent defense. Um, I could totally be wrong. I think they have the potential to be a lot better than that. Um, but I think as of right now, it's probably safe just to predict a, uh, predict a 10 and two record. I'll take the Sooners going 11 and one this year. And simply, I think they're going to lose that Ohio state game uh, just based on what we know now, just, I, I like you said. I think they have a chance to win that game. Obviously, uh, they have a chance to win every game. That's that's a that's an obvious statement. Um, but just you know, Ohio State's got all those returning starters. It's at home. On paper, you it just it doesn't make sense really to pick Oklahoma to win that game. But after that, I think they're going to win everything, uh, every other game. I just think Oklahoma is going to be different this year under Lincoln Riley. And when you say that they're going, to, it's going to be kind of like the last last year or the previous years because that's what they've done in the big 12 you know they'll lose maybe a game or two that they you're kind of like scratching your head about how they lost that uh, as of now you know i'm i'm so high on lincoln riley just uh, kind of what i said at the very beginning of the show the unknown and i think the unknown is going to be a good unknown so i think since he is so uh, excited and he has that he has that fire that really i think has not been there with bob stoops for the past few years because he's been here for a long time and it just didn't seem like he had, he was the same guy that he was in the early 2000s. I mean, how could he be? How could you be? I mean, it, it's impossible. I mean, he had so much to prove back then, and he did. And he's, he's one of the greatest coaches in college football history, um, the greatest coach in Oklahoma history based on wins and losses. So um, I am very high on this Oklahoma team at this point. 
And so I will take them to go 11 and one in the regular season. Um, now to the big 12 grant. Uh, I will start with this one. Here's the question. Which team in the Big 12 will be better this year than people are giving them credit for? And I'm going to go with Kansas. Uh, this was a tough one for me because I don't think Kansas will be like they're going to finish in the middle part of the Big 12 or anything like that. But basically what I'm just saying, I think they're going to be more competitive than they've been in recent memory. David Beatty, I think, is a, is a good head coach going into his third year. Um, basically, I was looking at their schedule. Their first nine games of the year are where they're going to need to get their wins. They're going to need to get at least three wins, maybe four, because they won two games last year. Because they finished off the year with Texas, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, which it's hard to imagine them winning any of those games. So I'm going to go with Kansas being a little bit better than people are giving them credit for. I disagree. I think they're going to be just a doormat again. I think they're going to get stomped. Um, I, I, I just, I, I, I think you're, uh, I think it's logical what you're saying, just because, you know, how could they be any worse? But I, they're so, that's such a bad program. I, I, and they still haven't really recruited very well. Um, they're one, the one guy in offense who is maybe perceived as a threat, uh, got kicked off the team, Lacavante Gonzalez. I just, I, I just don't see them winning more than two games. And I, 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 I think they're going to go winless again in the big 12. Um, but having said that, um, I, I think a team that, um, is, uh, does have some talent on their team and is getting better, especially because they have a they have a bright head coach and they're good at the skill positions. Is Iowa State? Um, the Sooners went to Ames last year and played on a Thursday night there, and I was pretty I was I, I was pretty impressed with Iowa State, uh, just how well they were coached. They didn't miss a lot of tackles. Um, they they have some talent. Um, their their starting quarterback Jacob Park is a legitimate major conference quarterback. Um, he was a he was a high four star guy. Originally went to Georgia. You can say what you want about Georgia, but they've had a lot. They've recruited a lot of talent at the quarterback position um, over the last decade. Um, and of course, senior wide receiver Alan Lazard, um, arguably the most physically gifted receiver in the entire conference. Um, I this is a team that that I think is um, is realistically going to win six or seven games and is really going to be a pain in the ass for a lot of the teams in the Big Twelve this year. On the flip side. Grant, which Big 12 team do you think is being overvalued as we enter the 2017 season? Texas. Um, and I, I think it's I, – I don't necessarily think it's crazy that they're getting so much love. Uh, of course, they're starting out um, in the top 25. Even They're the only team in the top 25 who did not have a winning record last year. Um, I, I get it. Tom Herman is he's, – he's been successful everywhere he's been. Um, but I, I think there, there was this perception – um, the last few years that Texas was still recruiting at an elite level and they were, they still had a bunch of NFL guys on their team and Charlie strong was, you know, just wasn't doing a good job. You know, Texas is still there. I, I just, if you watch them, if you go five and seven, you just don't really have that many good players. And I think it's, it's going to take Tom Herman, uh, a bunch of recruiting classes to really uh, restock the cupboard. And I think he will, I think Texas is going to turn into that, you know, perennial top two program in the big 12 along with Oklahoma while Herman is there. But I, but I think this year, you know, people talking about a college football playoff sleeper. I, I think they need to pump the brakes really hard with that. Um, you still, I, I think they're still very limited at a lot of positions. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I mean, I guess I, no, no, that's There's no, I, there's no way Texas makes the college football playoff this season because their team is basically what it's been. And it's, it's all about players for the most part. Yeah, in college football and really in football, if you have a really good coach, you can get a lot more out of the players than maybe a bad coach. And Tom Herman seems like somebody that can do that. But can he 
turn this group of players into a college football playoff team? No. Uh, and so, yeah, my team is Texas as well for any other reasons why you said, because they're getting all this hype because of Tom Herman. This is his first chance of being in a major conference and, sh- and, and playing a major conference schedule. Um, and really, think back to Houston last year, they really fell off at the end of the season when they actually played some I guess some good teams and even against some teams that really weren't that good. Uh, and they would, they lay some, they laid some eggs. So um, I think Tom Herman's a, a good coach. I, you know, I, from what I know about him, I think he's, again, he's going to turn that Texas program. I don't want to say turn him around, but I think he'll make him a little more viable, viable um, just based off of his resume at this point. Um, but then again, at the same time, Charlie Strong had a pretty darn good resume too, before he took over the Texas head job. And I thought he was going to be a really good coach and just didn't work out. Um, but all that said, said yeah, I, Texas has like basically the same guys. They have a new coach. The hype is a little too high. Just as far as uh, Texas since 2009, um, it, it really it doesn't necessarily feel like it's, it's just solely a coaching problem at Texas. It really does feel like it's a deep problem there. Like it's almost an administrative problem. Like they just have so much uncertainty um, and just – just too many, too many cooks in the kitchen in the, in the administration there. And I, and I think that's really the problem, uh, at Texas. They just, and, and who knows if, if they're given Tom Herman, just total, total control. Um, that was one of the big things under Charlie strong is that they didn't really let him do what he wanted to do. Who knows if they're doing that with Tom Herman? I don't know. But if, if there's guys in the administration, if there's suits who are trying to put their, put their fingerprints and boosters and whatever, putting their fingerprints all over the program, Texas is going to continue being like this. Um, the best programs in the country give full control to their head coaches, um, and we'll see if, if if they give full control to Tom Herman. I can I can definitely see him being just as successful as Mac Brown, uh, just because they're in the you know the most fertile recruiting ground in the entire country. Um, this recruiting class that they have right now is already um, top five in the country, so he's going to recruit well. It's just it's just all a matter if if they let him do what he wants to do. And we'll finish up Big Twelve talk with. The Big 12 championship game. Grant, who do you think will play in the Big 12 championship game? The first one they've had that we've had in the Big 12 since 2010. So um, I, I think OU is going to play in the Big 12 championship game. Um, I went back and forth on who, who to choose um, against them. I, you know what? I, I think the safest pick is to say it's going to be Oklahoma State because I, I do think going into the season that they are, I think they're obviously the number two team coming into the season, but I just kind of wanted to throw a curveball in there. So I am going to say Kansas State, um, actually, and I know I talked about them earlier, how they don't really scare me that much. Um, but for whatever reason, Kansas State is always just a, just a huge thorn in the side of everyone else. Um, and uh, Bill Snyder still is, a, still is a wizard. I think Jesse Yurtz, for, uh, for how limited he is as a passer, he is a, he's a very good runner. And they, they just seem to always have a good game plan on offense. And you know what? They always play sound defense. Um, and when you're in the Big 12, just playing sound defense is going to get you a long way. Uh, there's just something about them that I, that I like. Um, I like their culture. I, I like the way they play. They um, they, they had the decided uh, talent. Um, I, Texas A&M was much more talented than them in their bowl game last year, and they whipped Texas A&M. Um, I, and a lot of guys from that team are back. I, I just see them being a really solid team this year. Um, look for them to kind of uh, to wrap up a, a conference title appearance very late in the season on like on, on a weird game or something like that. I don't think it's going to be conventional at all. Well, I will go with OU versus Oklahoma State as the matchup in the Big 12 title game. I think Oklahoma State's going to be really good this year. I think the Cowboys are going to win a lot of football games. Talking about a, a college football playoff sleeper, 
Oklahoma State's a no-brainer for that conversation. Uh, I'm I'm really high on Mason Rudolph. I think he's a really good player because of his wide receiver core. I mean, he's got the best receivers in the country. James Washington and company um, are great, and we'll hear more about the receivers as the, as the season plays on. I think their schedule works out really well, really. Uh, Tulsa could present some problems in the first game, but they don't have a quarterback that's had any experience, so they should take care of Tulsa. At Pitt concerns me. Uh, but that's a non-Big 12 game, so it doesn't matter. Anyways, uh, Oklahoma State's a team that's going to win a lot of football games this year. Will Mike Gundy be not so conservative, I think, is the big question. Because I just think back to the Bedlam game last year where it was the weather was bad, but it really seemed like Gundy was very conservative with his play calling in that game, and that really hurt Oklahoma State. Uh, and Oklahoma obviously controlled most of that game anyways. Um, but anyways, I, I'm, I'll take uh, Cowboys and Sooners in a rematch for the Big 12 title. And and yeah, you, you bring up good points. Um, I, I guess I, I'm not as high on, on Mason Rudolph as you are. Um, I, I just think in the Big 12, being a statue in the pocket is just a... And I know he had a great season last year. He put up monster numbers. Um, but you're, you're going up against a Big 12 now that has a lot of returners on every team on defense. The Big 12 is always going to have good pass rushers. They always do. Um, and Mason Rudolph, like I said, he's a statue back there. Um, and I think it's an offensive line that already has some questions. He's going to get hit a lot this year. Um, uh, the guy I'm actually most impressed with on their, on their offense is their sophomore running back, Justice Hill. I think he's really good. Um, I think he's, uh, I think he's the best running back in the conference as of right now. Um, other than that, you know, yeah, James Washington, uh, Marcel Aitman and company, it's a really good receiving core. I don't think it's, I think it probably is the best in the country. Do I think it's it's as good as some of the better ones of the last decade in college football? Not even close. But I, I guess we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see. They're they're, they're going to be a really good offense, and I think on defense they'll just at best they'll be just okay. And I I I just I I can envision lots of scenarios where they are disappointing this year. You know, I mentioned just the offense real quick. The defense, too, I think is going to be a lot better than people think. Uh, the secondary, I think Oklahoma State, we were talking about Oklahoma State a couple days ago. Their secondary was awful last season. I think it's going to be much improved, very similar to Oklahoma's secondary being much improved. The cornerback spot, which was a huge weakness for the most part, Ramon Richards was okay last year. He's moving to safety. They have a lot of young corners at Oklahoma State, and apparently they're really talented and really good. And the safety positions at for the Cowboys should be strong with Trey Flowers and Ramon Richards. So uh, the secondary should be strong, which always is a help in the Big 12 with all the passing offenses. Um, so that's the Big 12 talk. Real quick, we're getting uh, up there on time. We're going to talk about national stuff really fast. We have quick picks. Uh, so let's try to go quickly on these ones, Grant. So we'll kind of do the same thing we did with the Big 12. We'll talk, uh, talk about overvalued teams. So on the national stage, Grant, what's your most overvalued team going into the season? All right, I'm going to cheat here. I'm going to actually pick two teams. Um, and they're the two teams that played in that very famous Rose Bowl from, I guess, earlier this year on January 1st, USC and Penn State. Um, I'll start with USC. I don't think USC is going to be bad. Um, I think, uh, so I'll, I'll pump the brakes on that right now. I think USC is going to be a good team. Um, but I think anyone talking about them as a college football playoff team, I think that's insane. Um, they're a team that um, basically lost all of their important players except for Sam Darnold. I, I know what people say about Sam Darnold. I get it. He's a huge talent. He's likely to be the first uh, the first overall pick in the NFL draft. Who's he going to throw to? Who's going to block for him? That's a big deal, especially going against what I think is a much improved Pac-12. Um, I, I just I, I think it's more realistic to um, to think that they're going to be a ten and two to nine and three type team this season. Uh, the other team I want to throw out there is Penn State. Um, I thought they were by far the most overrated team in the entire country last year. 
Um, I, I just think they're very limited. Uh, their best player from last year, or their best player is Saquon Barkley. He's a stud. Other than that, um, I Trace McSorley isn't going to be able to throw jump balls to Chris Godwin anymore. Um, I think Trace McSorley is severely limited as a quarterback. Um, I, I just don't see it with them. Um, that's a team that was just in the doldrums last year, and then they played an easy schedule down the stretch, and they got hot at the right time. Um, and so you have two teams that I think are artificially overrated because they played easy schedules in the back half of the season and then played each other in the bowl game. Um, and there was no defense to be played in that game whatsoever. Um, I just, you know, USC had a decent defense last year and they proved they lost a lot of impact players on that defense. I, I just, the, these are teams that I see, you know, I think Penn state's probably going to be more in the eight and four to seven and five range this year. USC, I could see being a little better than that, but I, in my mind, by far the two most overrated teams in the country going into the season. I'm looking forward to watching Sam Darnold play. I literally have not seen him take a snap. I didn't watch any of that Rose Bowl last year because I was working during the game. And it, anyway, so I'm based on those two teams. I'm just excited to watch Sam Darnold play just because I want to see if he is as good as people advertise. Um, my team that's being overvalued uh, is Clemson, and simply just because Deshaun Watson is gone, and I think he did so much for that team. Uh, losing a player like Deshaun Watson is going to be difficult for that offense. I know their defense is going to be very good yet again. Uh, Brent Venable is still doing an excellent job, but losing a quarterback, the most important position on the field, and bringing in a new guy who I'm sure has talent, um, and we don't know anything about him really yet. At this time, I say Clemson, and I don't expect them to really do a whole lot really on the national stage this I, season. I think they will take a step back, obviously, from a national championship season, but I, I still think you're, you're looking at a team that is definitely going to contend for the ACC title. They're going to have the best defense in the country. Um, I say that because they have the best defensive line in the country, um, and I know they have a lot of guys back on, on, off, on the offensive line as well. They might be able to run the ball well this year. Um, Clemson an unknown because Deshaun Watson was such a major, major part of that offense and that entire team and the entire culture. So they probably will take a step back, but I, I, I still think they're going to be a top 10 team over the course of the season. All right. Undervalued, most undervalued team going into the year. Who do you think is going to be better than the national media is giving them credit for? I'll go quick on this. I think it's going to be Stanford. They have 16 starters returning on, on what right now is the PAC 12 premier program. And it has been uh, since Jim Harbaugh has been there. Um, they went 10 and three last year, which was a down year for them. They had a lot of young guys. A lot of those guys are back and a lot of them are in their third year in the program. Um, I think they're the obvious choice for the PAC 12 champion. Um, and they're, they're starting, um, they're, they start behind USC and Washington, um, in the polls. I think Stanford is, is obviously going to be the PAC 12 champion this year. And for the record, we're recording this on Sunday, August 27th. And we just watched Stanford beat rice by about a hundred points last night. For me, my undervalued team this year is LSU. I think they're ranked number 13 in the initial AP poll. Um, not a big fan of Ed Orgeron, but I like the fact that they brought in a real offensive coordinator, Matt Canada from Pitt. Pitt had a good offense last year. I think there's a chance that the Tigers might have a legitimate offense for the first time in, in years, and they always have a good defense. So I think LSU is a team that is being a bit undervalued this season. Um, I Slightly agree with you. LSU is always the is is always going to have one of the five most talented teams in the entire country. I think Ed Orgeron is going to be a disaster there, but I could be wrong. I, the best case scenario for that uh, for Ed Orgeron is that he's more of a CEO and he just kind of delegates defense and offense to his assistant coach, and he just kind of is a rah rah guy. Um, let's go to the Heisman Trophy, the biggest individual award in sports, and also, in my opinion, the most overrated award in sports because it doesn't really mean anything. 
Who do you have winning the Heisman Trophy? I wanted to be realistic about this. Uh, the uh, the favorite never wins. Marcus Mariota is really the only favorite that has ever won the award. Um, with that in mind, I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts, uh, just because I think he's going to be on the country's best team. He's going to play quarterback. His numbers are going to be better than last year. Do I think Jalen Hurts, at the, even at the end of the year, is going to be the best player in the country? Not even close, but the best player in the country very rarely wins the Heisman Trophy. Um, so I'm just going to go with uh, just kind of the layup. I'm going to go with the, with the quarterback on the best team in the country, Jalen Hurts. And as we close the show, this will be the first of, I guess you could technically call it, some homer picks. But I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield. I think he's the best quarterback in college football. I think Oklahoma is going to be very good this season. And the reason because of that will be Baker Mayfield. Not breaking any news here. If they are really good, it will be because, be because of Baker Mayfield. I think this is his year as the best player in the country to win the Heisman Trophy. So I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield. All right. College football playoff. Grant, give me your four college football playoff teams. All right, I'm not going to go into to too much depth here. I'll just give you the four teams. Uh, Alabama, Ohio State, Stanford, and Auburn. I think the SEC is going to get two teams in there. Uh, that'll be the first wow. time we see that. Um, I'm not going to go into too much analysis about it, but it's just my prediction. Um, and so we'll, we'll revisit this at the end of the year. And again, this is kind of a ridiculous thing because there's so much football to be played. I mean, it's all just a, a talking point at, at this point for me, uh, Alabama, Ohio state. So we agree on that. I'm going to go with Oklahoma. So I guess you could call this my second Homer type pick after the Heisman trophy winner, uh, winning Baker Mayfield. I think OU's going to make the playoff this year. And for the fourth team, I just went with Florida state, even though honestly, I'm not that high on Florida state. Uh, but looking at the other teams that I could choose from, uh, it's hard for me to imagine a t- two teams from one conference being in, um, so I just went with Florida state because I guess they have some experience coming back with Francois quarterback and their defense is supposed to be very, very good again, even though they lost Alvin cook, I think running backs are kind of a dime a dozen and I'm sure they have elite running backs at Florida state. They can just plug in and be just fine there. So I'm going to go with that as my final four national champion. I will start with this. I will go with Alabama because at this time, that's just the most logical pick because Alabama is always in the playoff and they always have the best chance to win it. So it's boring, but I'm going to go with the crimson tide. Um, I'm also going to go with Alabama um, until they give us any sort of reason to doubt it. Um, as long as Nick Saban is there, Alabama is going to be my predicted national champion every single year. No, there's no even need to get too far into the weeds on it. That's just just the smartest pick. At this time, going into the year, if you pick anybody other than Alabama, you're just trying to be different. You're a fool. And I know, I know Clemson won the national championship last year, but Alabama was the best team in the country last year too, and they probably have been the last 10 years. So that's our college football preview show here in the premiere of West of Everest. We'll be back later on in the week to talk more in depth about OU versus UTEP on Saturday, September the 2nd. Can't wait for that game. But for now, for Grant, I am Lee. This has been West of Everest.